We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. To get a complimentary copy of Dave's book and a complimentary consultation, call 877-GAINS-4-U or mortagefinancial.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land, we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. It is indeed Always Right Radio. Good morning, eight minutes after nine o'clock, and we are ready to rock and or collectively roll on AM 1420. The answer. It is a the 16th morning of the month of division in the year of our Lord 2024. And, uh, of course, it is a Lenten Friday for those who are observing, so make sure that you stay away from the meat today if you can. But I would like to remind you also that it happens to be Friday, not just any Friday, but a free-for-all Friday! It's getting harder and harder to do that every Friday, by the way, <laughs> especially when we don't have a lot of free-for-all time because we are very, very heavy with with important guests who are going to be on the program today. But for the sake of tradition, it is a free-for-all Friday, and Mr. Scream is in rare form. It's good to hear from him. Now, coming up in about a half an hour, it's going to be good to hear from uh, Ohio State Representative. It happens to be my Congressman Bob Latta in the 4th, uh, or excuse me, in, in uh, the 7th. No, wait a minute. What, what is our district number now again? I kind of forget. Because Jordan is the 4th. He used to be my guy. We had to have uh, Bob Latta last time. I forgot my number. Anyway, Bob Latta's my guy, and I voted for him. But I'm going to question him today about something that um, I'm not happy with. We lost. We, meaning conservatives, um, one of the very, 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 very few votes that we had in the House to have a majority when the New York seat that was held by George Santos was won by a Democrat. So it flipped from red to blue, shrinking our majority even more. And Representative Latta was among those, as was Representative Max Miller, whom I've already spoken to about this, who voted to expel Santos uh, on only allegations. 
It cost us. It cost us a conservative vote. Even though Santos is kind of pretty much a bad guy based on the allegations, they're only allegations until they're convictions, until there's proof, until these things bear themselves out through due process. They denied him due process. And it's something that should have been held off until, you know, talking about an expulsion vote, until due process had been provided. And I didn't like that. So I'm going to talk to Bob Ladd about a few things. That is one of them. That will be coming up at 935. The others, of course, will be the vote and whether or not there shall be one on the $95 billion supplemental foreign aid package to uh, Ukraine, two-thirds of that, to Israel, to Hamas, and to Taiwan. So we're going to get into all of that with Dr. or with uh, Representative Bob Latta. Then doctor, actually, is Miriam Grossman. Dr. Grossman... Uh, is uh, going to be joining us. She is a professional. She is a psychiatrist and a fellow of Do No Harm, an organization dedicated to removing politics from medicine. And she wrote or co-wrote a very, very important op-ed in the Dallas Morning News laying bare the failings of the once esteemed American Psychological Association. Why? Because the APA, the American Psychological Association, has abandoned all of its principles, all of its science, and all of its belief in medicine and the practice thereof, by pushing um, gender-affirming psychiatric care out on everybody and anybody who comes in expressing any semblance of confusion or gender dysphoria. It's extraordinarily important that the APA, because what have I always said since this gender, you know, nonsense began and this, you know, it began began to become uh, mainstream, what was once considered to be obviously uh, abnormal, and that's not uh, to be used as a pejorative, just simply to describe. The, you know, something is not adhering to the norm, which is the binary understanding that there are men and women and that is not, there's nothing else, and you cannot change your sex. You can have operations and wear makeup if you want. Or if you're a girl, you can you can cut off your breasts and wear a cowboy hat and a, and a pair of... I mean, I'm just trying to picture something that's more definitively male. You can pretend to be whatever you want, but... But what have I and so many others always said? You don't use physical mutilation to deal with psychological problems. You deal with psychotherapy. That's how you deal with it. Well, now the APA is essentially saying, uh, no, we don't want to deal with it. Uh, it's not psychiatric. Go ahead and butcher them up. So Dr. Grossman is going to talk to us about how unbelievable that is and how devastating that is, quite frankly, for uh, what could be uh, a lot of people for a very long time to come because this is showing no signs of slowing down in terms of the uh, contagion, the social contagion of uh, transgenderism. 1035, Jack Windsor will be with us to talk all things Ohio politics. He is, of course, from the Ohio Press Network. He's also had some good news recently that he'll share with us. And at 1110, Biden is finally going to East Palestine. After all of the promises and after a year plus of ignoring the people of East Palestine, why? Because they're a rural area of Trump voters uh, that voted overwhelmingly for Trump. Trump went to East Palestine. J.D. Vance practically lives half of his time in East Palestine doing everything that he and they are they can to help those people dealing with the fallout from the toxic train derailment. Uh, Biden has never bothered, not once. Well, he's finally going. 
What does that mean? What does that look like? And what's the purpose and the agenda of his trip? We're going to talk to RNC Director of Strategic Communications, Tommy Piggott, about that. That'll be coming up at 1110. So there you have it. Bob Ladder, Miriam Grossman, Jack Windsor, and Tommy Piggott are all going to be with us. we got a lot of news to get to, which we shall do after we pledge our allegiance to our still great but troubled country. Let's go ahead and stand and face your flag. Put your hand on your heart and join us for this if you are a believer in uh, uh, American exceptionalism, you will join us for this. If you think that America is systemically racist, that should have open borders, and that should have uh, essentially lawless uh, cities and communities in the interest of equity and uh, uh, inclusivity and so forth, if you believe in all of that left-wing nonsense, then you don't believe in America because that's not who or what we are. So don't fake it. Instead of standing with your hand on your heart, you can go ahead and kneel. Uh, put your knee to the ground like the good little Marxist that you are. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Numbers came out yesterday of the invasion of the United States, which is being chronicled in real time. It's being chronicled, it's being watched, it's being um, uh, reported upon, but it is nothing is being done to stop it. 243,000 illegal border crossers came in in the month of January. 243,000, that is a new record. It seems like we're setting records every single month. That's a new record for the month of January. 176,000 along the southwest border. The majority, of course, apprehended between ports of entry, which makes their uh, arrival here automatically illegal. And instead of stopping them, turning them around and saying, march in the opposite direction, they are welcomed in because they dare to say the magic word, we seek asylum, or magic words, we seek asylum. What does that mean? We don't know. We were told to say it. That's the reality of it. The remainder apprehended at ports of entry, Include 15,000-plus at the northern border, the most in a single month at the northern border in U.S. history. And that matters. Yesterday I recorded a um, TV episode of uh, Strictly Speaking with um, uh, with uh, Lord Conrad Black, who is a Canadian, actually dual citizen of Canadian and the U.K., or Canada and the U.K., but he's a Canadian, and we talked about the southern border. And I mentioned to him, you know, there are record numbers coming across the northern border as well. We all focus on the obvious because the world's population generally that wants to come to the United States is coming through Mexico because it's a land bridge into the United States, and we all know the drill. But um, people are ignoring the northern border. 15,000 last month came coming into the United States through Canada, not necessarily from Canada, but through Canada, same situation, using it as uh, you know their their bridge into the United States. That, by the way, is the most in a single month from the northern border in U.S. history. U.S. history from January 2023 through January 2024, 459,118 foreign nationals from all over the world have successfully scheduled appointments to present at ports of entry using the CBP One app. Uh, Texas sued to stop the use of that app, arguing that the administration, the Biden regime, deliberately conceived of this phone app with the goal of illegally pre-approving more foreign aliens to enter the country and go where they please once they arrive. It is working. In one year through the end of January of this year, 
Over 357,000 Cubans, Haitians, Nicaraguans, and Venezuelans were granted parole under a new parole process created by the Department of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, contrary to existing law established by Congress. This is why that no-good traitor is, uh, has been impeached by the House. Obviously, it has to go through a Senate process now, but it was a massively important statement to make. Customs and Border Patrol reported more than 75,000 Cubans, 144,000 Haitians, 64,000 Nicaraguans, and 92,000 Venezuelans were vetted and authorized for travel by way of that app. I'll stop here and point out something that's extraordinarily important. Those are not the biggest concern when it comes to the invasion of the United States. Those people coming from largely third-world, underdeveloped, starving countries are the ones that you might say, hey, we've got some compassion because they're starving. It's, uh, you know, it's a situation where they literally are just seeking a better life and an opportunity. Now, not that it excuses illegal uh, immigration. It doesn't. But these people coming to the ports of entry and claiming asylum, uh, seeking opportunity and so forth, is different than those that we are really concerned about. The ones that are coming here from China, the ones that are coming from the Middle East, the ones that are coming from Eastern Europe, the ones who are coming from nations that are not necessarily friendly toward, not necessarily enemies either, but at least adversarial in part of the United States, with the United States. And they come here with an agenda that we cannot be sure of. But we do know that when they come here absent wives and children and they're military-age males, it should scare the you-know-what out of you. Because what is the agenda? Is there a a, a unity, a unified red-green axis here? Red-green axis, of course, refers to communism, which has its own end uh, and, it, and its own goals, and Islamism which has its own. Both of them lead to the destruction of the West and the destruction of the United States. Are they working together? Which has been the focal point of a lot of people's studies for a very, very long time. But they're coming from those regions of the world, uh, places that uh, do indeed uh, espouse communism, and yes, those that practice Islamism from the Middle East, largely from the Middle East. So this is a very, very big deal. 243,000 in January. That's a new record for the month of January. That's uh, overall 15,000 from the across the northern border. Uh, that is a record for all time from the northern border. We add that to this story. Homeland Security admitted in emails that it failed to track illegal immigrants released into the U.S. interior. The broader immigration strategy has come under scrutiny amid record border crossings and the impeachment of Mayorkas and newly discovered emails uh, may intensify that scrutiny. These emails show that the agency of Alejandro Mayorkas, which is the Department of Homeland Insecurity, um, was tasked uh, with protecting U.S. border and domestic security, admitted it is not tracking the illegals once they are released from federal custody custody into the interior of the country. And this, my friends, is why you have so many of these uh, horrific crimes being committed in the United States being committed by individuals who were um, admitted here and allowed to stay, committed crimes, were deported, and then came back again and again and again. But they're not tracking them. I've got a story in front of me that shows somebody who was um, um, deported, removed from the country five different times, just crosses right back over into the unsecured Biden border, the unsecured Mayorkas border, until uh, they committed a murder. They are not tracking these people when they get here. In some ways, I can say, 
I don't necessarily feel, you know, I, I feel kind of bad for for some of the workers. How do you track 10 million people that come and came across in three years? We used to say that we had 11 million illegals in this country. There have been nearly 11 million that have come in since Biden took office alone. That doubles it. That puts it up around 22 million. It's probably in reality closer to 25, 26 million, and they can't track them all, which is exactly why so many uh, conservatives and people who are concerned about national security, family security, homeland security, and so forth, not to mention uh, resources that are being absorbed by this massive influx of humanity and the potential threat of terrorist activity or attacks from within. All of those things is why, why we are calling for a sealing of the border. Seal it. Shut it down. Zip it up. Whatever you want to call it. Do it and do it now until we get a handle on the 22, 23, 24 million who are already here. It's a big debate, by the way, in the uh, uh, Senate race, in the Senate primary, amongst uh, Moreno and LaRose and Dolan, because Moreno keeps saying we need to take all 20 million of them and deport their A's. And LaRose says that can't be done. Well, he's probably right, LaRose is. It can't be done as long as there are another two hundred to 300,000 coming across every single month. In order to get a handle on those who are already here, we have to stop others from coming here. The border wall needs to be built. Border security, amnesty laws need to be changed. Policies need to be changed. We're going to talk about all of these with Bob Latta coming up here in just a few minutes. And just to kind of you know throw this uh, throw throw this uh, point out to you to to let you know, Egypt is very very concerned. Egypt is very very concerned about a massive influx of border crossers from Gaza in the form of Palestinian refugees. They're very fearful that the Israeli military push further into southern Gaza is going to set off a flood of refugees all trying to get into Egypt, right? So what do you what do you think Egypt is doing? I'll give you two three guesses, two of them don't count. They're building a wall. How about that? What a shocking idea. What a crazy thing to think about. We were told by the left that walls don't work, but it is amazing how effective so many other countries find them when there is a massive threat of illegal immigration, including, by the way, into uh, Israel. If you recall, they had a border barrier. It's kind of more of a concrete uh, partition slash fence that they have between uh, uh, Israel and Gaza. This, of course, is what the, on October 7th the terrorists uh, had to go through, and they did. They bulldozed portions of that concrete barrier and that wall to come in. Others then paraglided in over top of the wall. So, yeah, there's nothing that's perfect, but these walls are built, and when they are fortified and built a little bit better than the ones Israel had built, uh, they are an extremely helpful tool. Are they a panacea? Are they a cure-all? No. But are they, is it, uh, rather, these walls, are they very important tools, amongst the other things, to protect a sovereign nation? Absolutely they are. So Egypt has announced they are building an eight-square-mile walled enclosure in the Sinai Desert uh, near the border, according to Egyptian officials. So how about that? Let's take a little lesson from the Egyptians, um, uh, Joseph R. Biden, and maybe, just maybe, we can find a way to uh, bring a little bit of security to this uh, to this country. Oh, and by the way, while we're at it, ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, so frustrated by the numbers that continue to crush in here, have announced they are proposing, anyway, uh, uh, releasing a rep- proposal to 
turn loose thousands of migrants to just completely let them go because they do not have the resources to keep up with them. In other words, pass them on into the uh, populations of the people and let the let the individual communities sort it all out. This is a reality. ICE is, I mean, they're heroes. They're doing their best. Same thing with Border Patrol, but they can only do so much with the policies that are in place. We are bursting at the seams. This cannot continue, and this is something that our elected officials need to take to Joe Biden every single day, including Bob Latta, uh, who is uh, going to be joining me right after the uh, bottom of the hour. Uh, 216-901-0945, always right. Routine 20, the answer. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, coming up on 935 now, Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer, good Friday to you. No, it's not good Friday, but have a good Friday today. It is a Lenten Friday, however, so just a little reminder, don't uh, don't have the sausage on your McMuffin this morning. Um, so uh, we'll get back to the issues on the border in just a moment, but we have a lot of issues to discuss with uh, our leaders and our representation in Congress. Ohio's 5th Congress. I blanked on our district number for a minute there because I know I voted for Jordan before when he was my guy and he was four, but when the districts were redrawn and I got Bob Latta as my guy, that's five. So anyway, Representative Bob Latta is my congressman. He's Ohio's 5th Congressional District Representative. He's the Deputy Whip. He's a member of the House Committee on Energy and Commerce and the Chair of the Communications and Technology Subcommittee. Joining us now on AM fourteen twenty, the answer, Congressman. Good morning. How are you? Hey, good morning. And uh, I was just listening to one of your commercials about uh, if you have a head code, what you should be doing. And I got a head code on the plane the other day when two people had their little air thing going right down on top of me. Oh no! Yeah, that's rough. I, you know, it's funny is I usually poke those things, point them at me because it makes me cooler. But uh, if somebody's yeah. sick and they're blowing that stuff on you, that's not good. Um, so, Congressman, a lot of a lot of stuff to get in today, uh, and I'm going to start with the good because then I'm going to hit you with the bad. Uh, you probably know what I'm going to talk about. Uh, but but as far as the good, let's talk a little bit about uh, the vote that was taken to stop essentially uh, uh, Joe Biden from killing our energy in this country even worse. I mean, I I hate to be as blunt about that, but I mean, literally, he came in promising to kill the fossil fuel industry, and that means oil, natural gas, and coal. And his LNG uh, 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 policy that was just announced a couple of days ago, um, uh, his export ban, you voted along with uh, the rest of the House Republicans to reverse that. Tell me how important that is. Well, you know, I serve on the Energy and Commerce Committee, and uh, th- this has been going on for years. We've been trying to get, uh, you know, LNG, and the LNG exports are important for a big reason. The more that we are able to bring out of the ground and uh, move around, the better it is for all Americans. Because if all of a sudden what Biden wants to do is, you know, shut it down, all of a sudden you're going to have the, the drillers and the producers out there in a situation that they're going to say, well, uh, we don't have a market. And, uh, you know, it hasn't been all that many years ago. We were told in this country we had no natural gas. We had no oil. But putting the right laws in place for the right administrations and making sure that, uh, uh, you know, the entrepreneurs and the innovators can get out there and do it. You know, we are are now the number one producer of natural gas in the world, and we can outproduce Saudi Arabia or Russia on any given day in oil production. Yeah, and it, it is extraordinarily important, and I'm, and I'm so glad you guys are taking action on this. Um, but obviously, you have to get the Senate to, to agree to this as well, right? Yeah, well, that's correct. And, you know, it's always tougher over there. But 
This is a national uh, uh, national security concern. Mm-hmm. When you look at again, uh, what we need to do again, what, the way that Putin's financing his war in the Ukraine, it's from his uh, natural gas and his oil production. Mm-hmm. So, and what the Europeans want, they want to buy LNG uh, uh, exports from the United States and uh, stop that reliance on the, uh, Putin. So, you know, we can do great things with it. And the other thing is always important because, again, with my district, uh, you know, just on the natural gas side, I have 86,000 manufacturing jobs. I need power. And the other part is that uh, I have the largest farm income-producing district in the state of Ohio, and uh, farmers need the oil and the natural gas for their fertilizers and other products. Yeah, we're talking with uh, Congressman Bob Latta, Ohio 5. He happens to be my congressman as well. And yeah, it's funny when you mention that, you know, uh, it's the way Putin is financing his wars with the exporting of his uh, natural gas and, re- and, uh, and oil. And yet we are going to finance the other side of that war, not through exporting our liquid national ga- natural gas, if uh, Biden has his way here, but just by straight up giving them money. Giving sixty billion dollars more to the hundred and thirty billion uh, or ish, I think it's close to that one hundred twenty some odd billion we have already greenlit for Ukraine uh, to fight Putin, rather than giving them uh, straight up sixty billion dollars for munitions and so forth, wouldn't it make a lot more sense to weaken Putin's resources by simply exporting our natural gas to those same places that are getting it from him? Well, part of the problem is is that uh, he's built up his reserves. If you ever uh, follow uh, whenever he does things, it's when uh, he's been on a, a very much of a high. And so, unfortunately, he's got the reserves and the cash because what he's also doing now is he's selling that to China and all the other countries in the world that hate us. And uh, But, you know, we, what we can do, though, is reduce the reliance, especially on Western Europe. And, you know, one of the things with Western Europe, uh, people say, well, how come, you know, what happened over there? It was very simple. These green groups were being financed by uh, the Russians to say that they wanted to kill all fossil fuels, and this is a mess they've gotten themselves into. When I've talked with their leaders, this is exactly what they were fearful of, and it happened. Yeah, well, you know, and uh, that's that. I'm glad you bring that up. And and so let me ask you the other part of, like I just said, you know, sixty billion, two thirds of the uh, ninety five billion dollar bill that the Senate passed uh, for supplemental foreign for supplemental foreign aid goes to Ukraine. I think what was it, fourteen billion to Israel. 10 billion to Hamas, and I'm just calling it what it is. It's not like that in the bill. It says it's for humanitarian aid to Gaza, but we know Hamas gets everything that goes there. And then, of course, Taiwan. Um, Speaker Johnson had originally said this thing is DOA, but then I saw a, a news article yesterday, Congressman Latta, that said he is going to have a sit down with Joe Biden to discuss this, which indicates to me maybe there's going to be a negotiation to change it somewhat, but he he's going to look for a reason to bring it up for a vote. What is your understanding of where that sits in the House? Well, when you look at the what the Speaker's talking about, I think also you know the Speaker knows what our Republican conference looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, it's razor thin. Uh, what we have uh, in the House right now, um, you know, uh, unfortunately lost the race up there in New York. Uh, so another Democrat will be coming on. So we'll be at about two nineteen. We're still waiting for the uh, seat to be filled. That when Kevin McCarthy resigned out in California, we will hold that seat. But uh, the, the speaker knows that um, he, he's going to have to make sure that we everything that we've talked about in the past 
especially with border security, has got to be tied in because I've, I was down at the border again in January with uh, about 60 other members. And it's, as one sheriff down there said, we're past a crisis and a catastrophe. And when you think about it, from uh, October until now, over 4,300 Chinese have crossed the border. So it's just unbelievable what's happening down there. And we don't know if these people that are crossing could be uh, you know, terrorists. They want to do us harm. Yeah, no, we don't know that. You're exactly right. We're talking with Bob Latta, who is Ohio uh, uh, Ohio Fifth Congressional District Representative. He mentioned as he came on, he's got a cold. You do sound a little bit rough, so I appreciate you keeping <laughs> the interview. You would have been excused from uh, from doing this for simply being sick, but I, I appreciate you fighting through. And I'm going to say that with uh, a little bit of compassion now because I'm about to criticize you, uh, and I hope you don't take it too personally. But I was disgusted by the fact that we just lost another seat in our already razor thin majority that did not have to happen. We lost that uh, race in New York, as you just pointed out, because um, the uh, Republicans did not stand strong in providing due process for George Santos. You and uh, Joyce and Balderson and Kerry and Miller and Wenstrup, all from our state, said uh, uh, we're going to bounce him. Um, I I need an explanation. Um, I I understand that there are some strong allegations against him, just like there were allegations against President Trump when they voted to impeach him uh, and there was no due process given to him, and there was no due process given to George Santos either. So with only allegations, Representative Latta, not convictions, and us with it, he was a pretty reliable conservative vote in, during the time that he was there. Why did you vote to expel one of our very, very, very thin majority members of Congress without a conviction? Well, if you read what the Constitution says, uh, what, how uh, the House would act, you don't need a conviction uh, on the on that. It's uh, the reputation of the House in this case, and that's and uh, unfortunately, uh, Mr. Santos was um, the poster child for everything that was wrong. And uh, you know, for it went from theft, you name it, he did everything. And, uh, and alleged, so he, alleged, alleged. We 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 don't know that he did. These are allegations until they're not, right? Well, and again, you know, when you, uh, we, we had the report from the uh, Ethics uh, Commission, which is a, you know, it's a 50-50, and even the Republican chair of the Ethics Commission said, you know, he, he had to go, and just from all of the work that they had done. And, but, you know, when you look at all the things, again, um, the lying, the, and, and again, the cheating, the theft, yeah, he, he, he was a blot upon the house. Well, yeah, you know, again, I, I'm sitting here just wondering how in the world we can play by these rules when we're, when we're being beaten by somebody that plays by no rules. Bob Menendez, for crying out loud, has been indicted for crying, you know, and, and, yep. and which is a lot more than just an allegation. He's facing the indictment, and they didn't bounce him. You know, let me put it to you this way. Troy Nels, your, your colleague from Texas, Troy Nels said, until Republicans learn they need to get into the slop with the pigs, we will continue to lose elections. We should never have brought the Santos vote to the floor, end quote. I happen to agree with that. 
until they are going to say, well, you know, the reputation of our caucus or our conference, rather, you know, matters more to us. And, and so even though there hasn't been an official conviction yet, or, or even in, you know, in the Menendez case, there is an indictment, but we're not going to do anything until we have to do something because they know every vote matters. We're sitting here knowing every vote matters, but we're willing to sacrifice one of them anyway. Well, and again, this is something we'll have to agree to disagree on because again, um, and everything that that he had done, uh, it, it, he was a blot. And, uh, and if I'd been a Democrat, I would have I'd done the same thing. And but uh, in these cases, we individuals that uh, did what he did uh, should alleged not to have done, done. alleged to have done. Once again, I, I mean, I I just feel like we we, we can't get past that. We have to we're, we have to recognize an allegation as an allegation until it's proof. You know, you call it a blot because of the accusation. Okay, well, they can accuse you. Like I said, they accused former President Trump of a lot of things, but they didn't prove those things, which is why it was so ridiculous for uh, them to hold an impeachment vote uh, until there was an actual proof of those things. Um, you know, that, then due process has to prevail here. I mean, we, we have to keep the word alleged into all of these things when you say that he was a blot. He may have been a blot in your mind, uh, Representative Latta, but he was also a, a reliable conservative vote on some important things that we are I mean how do we just impeach my orcas by one vote 214 to 213 every single one of the votes matters well and they do and that's why we you know again when we have these special elections and unfortunately what happened up in New York but like I said we'll hold California we also had a situation with um, uh, one of our members uh, who's the dean of the house uh, was struck uh, in his car, and so he's, he's he's able to be back now. And then Steve Scalise uh, is back from his cancer treatment. So that, that these are the numbers that really help us to get back, because again, we're going to be uh, right at these numbers uh, through the election. Yeah, we, we we certainly are. And we'll close the conversation on something we can go back to agreeing on here, and that is uh, the terrible tragedy suffered by the people of East Palestine, and they're still suffering from the fallout of the toxic uh, train derailment. Joe Biden, over a year now, has not visited. He's finally going. Um, what do you think that means? Well, okay. First of all, you know, to get him down to the border is impossible. They really see it. You have the vice president who's supposed to be in charge. She won't see it. And so, you know, the president uh, should have been the day after. He should have been over in East Palestine. And, uh, again, uh, they, they don't want to be, I'm not sure where they would say there'd be a, uh, a controversy that they shouldn't be there. Because, again, he's, this is a situation where uh, people are hurting and he should have been there ASAP. Yeah, it's not a controversy that he is there. It's a controversy that it took so long to get Correct. him there. Um, and, and one can only, you know, if I want to be cynical, uh, say it's because he's in an election fight. It's an election year. Last year he wasn't in the election year yet. He didn't care. He knew it was a very Trump-centric uh, district anyway or region anyway. And so he didn't care. But now it's an election year, and he wants to look compassionate. He wants to look like now he cares, not just to those voters there, but around the country to say, oh, look at that. President Biden kept his promise. He said he would go see the poor victims who suffered from this uh, 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 this uh, derailment in, in East Palestine. So, look, it's good on him. It's just it, it's well, pretty think, much a photo op, right? I think, uh, I think it's more going to be backfiring on him because, again, uh, he should have been there. And people are going to say he's just a Johnny come lately. Yeah, I completely agree. And it is that. It's Joey come late, late, uh, very, very lately. Um, 
Representative Latta, I appreciate you coming on. Again, uh, best wishes for your health. You sound like you're in a rough spot well, right now, it, so get yourself better. Uh, and uh, we look forward. Day two of the code. All right. Yeah, well, hopefully it won't last much longer than day three. Uh, but thank, thank you, you for coming on, and we look forward to chatting again. Have a good day. Thank you. You too. Bye. All right. There you go. That's uh, Bob Latta. He is uh, Deputy Whip in the House. And again, he knows as a Deputy Whip how important it is to whip up all of the votes needed in these important issues. And um, here we sit. You know, again, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm looking at an article. GOP lawmakers express anger at Republicans who expelled Santos as their majority shrinks. And yup. Uh, yeah. Uh, Troy Nels was among them, as I just pointed out. Uh, one GOP lawmaker. Uh, said that their Republican colleagues who led the charge to boot Santos for being a blot, as Representative Latta called him, quote, owe Republicans everywhere an apology and around $10 million. <clears throat> I'm assuming that's because of the cost of the election to flip a seat uh, from red to blue, for crying out loud. Um, it's it's a mistake for me. Um, you know, and I've said the same thing to Max Miller, who voted for the uh, expulsion. Uh, obviously, I've said another Representative Latta, and if I talk to any of the others, if I talk to, you know, Balderson or Joyce and Kerry and any of these people, I will tell them the same thing, that I, it's, a, it's a mistake. How can we be as concerned about the adherence to the rules, or no, to the spirit of the rules, when the left, I mean, I, I'm going to reuse a, uh, a line that I used uh, with Jason uh, Hill, Professor Jason Hill, on this morning's Strictly Speaking show. I was watching myself on the interview for, for critical purposes uh, as I prepped today. And uh, I spoke with Jason Hill, the professor from DePaul who has been suspended for daring to support Israel. <laughs> Not allowed at universities to support Israel. But I was talking to him, and we were talking about the fight. Um, you know, in, in the media over these kinds of things. And I said, it's hard to win fights when you are committed to wearing nice, soft, padded boxing gloves with which to hit the opponent, and they are swinging a two-by-four with a nail in it at your head. And that's the reality. The Democrats swing the two-by-four, and we're like, oh, that's, that's a little aggressive here, but um, here's what we're going to do. Put them up. Put them up. Jab, jab, jab. That's what. That's how we fight. We expel George Santos. They defend Bob Menendez. Are you kidding me? You can't do that. It's a terrible, terrible. Uh, if you're in a street fight and you're you're trying to play by the Marquis of Queensberry rules, and they're fighting with bricks and and bats and 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 two by fours and nails and so forth, um, you're going to lose every single time. And you might say, yeah, but at least we didn't. Stoop to their level. At least we didn't, you know, uh, have a blot on us by, uh, you know, by by swinging deadly weapons like they did. We they did. We tried to fight a fair fight. Is that going to make you feel better when you're laying there bleeding? Our party is laying here bleeding. And Buick Medina Auto Mall, the number one Buick GMC dealer in Ohio. Medina Auto Mall. Nobody will beat a Medina number one price. Nobody. Okay, 9.55, so thanks to uh, Representative Bob Ladd, I felt bad for him, first of all, because he came on and played sick, uh, meaning he was sick, but he played through it anyway, uh, so I certainly appreciate that, and then I had to condemn and criticize that decision, but uh, he was right, uh, obviously, and spot on in his vote um, uh, against uh, Joe Biden's pause on exportation of uh, LNG, liquid natural gas, uh, because it harms us. Joe, we, we recall this 
I play it from time to time because it makes me so angry and so upset, but Biden pledged and promised uh, when he first came into office that he was going to kill fossil fuels. It was it was one of the very first things that he said he wanted to do. Would there be any place for fossil fuels, including coal and fracking, in a Biden administration? No, it would be, we, would, we would work it out. We would you make sure it's eliminated. No but more drilling on Sorry about that. They're playing over top of one another. You don't have to agree, but I want you to look in my eyes. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, we're going to end fossil fuel, and I am not going to cooperate with you, okay? End fossil fuel, and this is a part of that project. It weakens the entire uh, country in a lot of ways. Say that again, Seth. Oh, Chris Long. Okay, good. I wasn't sure if we were going to be able to get Chris Long today. Uh, you just heard a promotion for the uh, uh, Freedom Banquet that is coming up in Akron a couple of seconds ago. We can get a few more details on it now from the uh, head of the Ohio Christian Alliance, Chris Long. Hey, Pastor Long, how are you? Well, thanks, Bob. We're glad to have you as our MC for the uh, candidate forum portion of the evening. We're looking forward to that, to hear from the U.S. Senate candidates in the Republican primary next Thursday night, the Akron Fairlawn Hilton, and we hope folks would come out. They can register at our website at Ohio Christian Alliance. Just search that, and right at the top of the page is the registration. But it's going to be a great evening. Uh, of course, we're going to have the candidate forum with the U.S. Senate candidates. Also, the 13th Congressional is a very interesting race. Washington is looking that as a possible pickup for a Republican, and there's two candidates vying for the Republican nomination there, Kevin Coughlin and Chris Banwig. I think you've had both of the gentlemen on your program. I have. And this This Senate race is really tight. I've been calling folks all around the state, our volunteers, our contacts that we've known for decades. And I'll tell you, it's kind of a mixed bag out there, and I think it's very tight. I've told both candidates, both uh, Frank LaRose and uh, Bernie Marino, and they said that's what our polling shows, that this is a very close race going into March 19th. Yeah, it, it really is, and it's so important for people to get every chance that they can to hear you know, from those three candidates so that they can compare and contrast and make the right decision. We absolutely have to be, and this is not to diminish the Coughlin and Bandwag race or anything else, but I'm talking specifically about that Senate race, um, uh, that we have to be Chair Brown, Chris. Uh, it, 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 there's nothing more important. Winning that race might decide the majority in the Senate after November. Absolutely. All eyes are on Ohio with this U.S. Senate race, and this, this should be an easy pickup. Uh, President Trump, uh, who is the nominee for the Republicans for the presidential race, should win Ohio again handedly. Of course, what happens in other states is yet to be determined. But in Ohio, uh, that Senate race has to be won if the Republicans are going to pick up the Senate. So all eyes are on Ohio. And then, of course, this primary is so important because whoever comes out of that primary is going to face off against Sherrod Brown and is going to have to be able to uh, match him. Uh, to uh, be able to ar- argue the point that uh, we can't continue with Washington the way it is. And I, I, you just played a little clip about what's happening there. And I heard on Monday when Congressman uh, Jordan was on your uh, program, and he said, you know, I've, ne- I've been doing this work for years, and in this town right now there's a lack of leadership, and I'm actually scared. It's not good when a congressman said that they're scared. <laughs> that kind of scared me. So. You know what? You know, and you, I'm glad you refocused me on that, too, because I went ahead after you and I talked, and I played it on the air, and I talked about what that means, and I completely agree. And, uh, and I mean, literally, they, this could not be more dire. It could not be more important. We need to get the right people in the right positions uh, to win win majorities in the, the majority in the Senate, to strengthen the majority in the House, and, of course, to take back the White House. But So the Freedom Banquet on February 22nd, uh, very much looking forward to this, the uh, Hilton Act in Fairlawn. Uh, get your tickets now at uh, ohioca.org, right, Chris? Ohioca.org. That's, 
Yes, sir. It's right on our website, and we look forward to the folks coming out. We're going to have a great time, and it's going to motivate you and inspire you about our American Republic. We're not finished That's yet, and we're going to continue. GOP.org. Join me and other special guests for an evening with Prager. Get motivated for 2024. Get your tickets now at MedinaGOP.org. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Alrighty then, hour number two now underway at seven minutes past ten o'clock on Always Right Radio. Well, happy Friday to you. It is a free-for-all Friday, but we do have a lot of important guests that we are talking to. 16th morning of the month of division in the year of our Lord, 2024. It is a Lenten Friday, just as a reminder to my Catholic friends who are sacrificing and uh, going to stay meatless today. Just a little reminder. You better break out the macaroni and cheese or the fish sticks or uh, something of that nature. Um, just to prove that we are not opposed to diversity, our topics are diverse on this program. <laughs> I, I, I kind of jokingly say that because I was just talking about the um, episode of Strictly Speaking that I recorded that is airing today on uh, Roku, True Blue, um, Plex, and TCL TVs with Professor Jason Hill. And uh, he wrote a book uh, called uh, What Do uh, White Americans Owe Black People? It's a book about reparations and so forth. And he, of course, is uh, uh, Jamaican-born. But he's a man of color, a black man, if you will, professor at DePaul University, and he is completely opposed to the entire concept of DEI. And we talk about it. I just tweeted out and posted on my Facebook um, a clip from that show that uh, airs today. And it's about the DEI portion of it. And I asked him, tell me anything good about diversity, equity, and inclusion, or diversity, inclusion, and equity, if you believe that it is what it sounds like and it makes things die. And... Um, you know, he had a very hard time finding anything good to say about it. I will, however. Diversity of thought is a good thing. Not diversity of skin color or of sexuality or sexual orientation or anything of those, any, any of those things, because those things lead to discrimination when you try to choose somebody based on one of those characteristics, one of those immutable characteristics or one of the selected ones. Um, that's not good when you try to diversify simply based on appearance. But diversity of thought, diversity of ideas, diversity of topics, that is a positive thing. And that's what I use to transition from, pardon that unintended pun, but to transition from the discussion that we just had on uh, 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 liquid, liquid natural gas and fossil fuels with Representative Bob Latta as we go now into the world of uh, transgendering America. And there's no other way to say that, quite frankly. The rest of the world seems to have wised up, particularly countries, uh, you know, Scandinavian countries. They're looking at this and they're saying, whoa, 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 we are not recommending gender-affirming care for confused youth and adolescents and uh, uh, and uh, minors. We're not promoting that stuff anymore because it is so incredibly harmful. But here in the United States, it's full speed ahead. So joining us now is uh, Dr. Miriam Grossman. She... Uh, wrote along with, uh, I believe, Dr. Lawrence Schwartz, a very, very important op-ed that I read in the Dallas Morning News. Um, they are psychiatrists and fellows of Do No Harm, which is an organization dedicated to removing politics from medicine. And this op-ed 
um, essentially takes to task the American Psychological Association. The APA should be the go-to for people suffering from either actual gender dysphoria, which is very, very rare, or even the social contagion of transgenderism, because these are psychological disorders. But now the American Psychiatric Association has apparently fled the building and said, no, go ahead and promote the gender-affirming care. Go ahead and do the mutilation. We're not going to deal with it on our end. At least that's a very loose interpretation of this. So let's welcome Dr. Miriam Grossman, practicing child and adolescent psychiatrist and do-no-harm fellow to AM 1420, The Answer. Dr. Grossman, good morning. It's good to have you. How are you? Good morning, Bob. I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure. Um, I talk about this topic on this radio program a lot. I talk to experts. I talk to authors. I talk to researchers, scientists. I do it on my television program as well. And uh, I'm so glad to see you taking this to the mainstream, uh, this uh, reality of what is going on with the American Psychiatric Association. Give us a little backgrounder on the article that you wrote and what you want people to know about what the APA is up to. Sure, of course. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for covering this topic. I wrote everything from A to Z that people need to know about the madness of, uh, of transgenderism that's going on right now in our country. The name of my book is Lost in Trans Nation, A Child Psychiatrist's Guide Out of the Madness. And uh, that book is basically a guide for all parents not just parents who might be going through this crisis in their home right now, but parents who want to prevent it and who want to inoculate their children against dangerous ideas, such as being born in the wrong body, which kids are basically being bombarded with, you know, 24-7. So, yeah, uh, the APA, and it wasn't the American Psychological, if I could just correct you, is the American Psychiatric. Oh, thank you. I apologize. Of course it is. There, yeah. Thank you for that correction. There is a difference. I know the difference between psychological and psychiatric care, but I did say it incorrectly. Thank you. Uh, No problem. So there are two APAs, and the APA, you know, that brought out this recent book on gender affirming care is the American Psychiatric, which is obviously a medical, or supposed to be, a professional medical association for psychiatrists, psychologists, and You know, really all of mental health and beyond has always trusted the APA for, you know, up-to-date, evidence-based guidance on how to help people. And so it's all the more distressing and problematic that they recently, at the end of last year, published a book that they're calling an essential textbook on uh, on, on the care of transgender-identified individuals. Mm-hmm. But rather than deal with the real science and the evidence and all of the debate that's going on, as you accurately mentioned in your introduction, that many other countries have pivoted away. Well, let me first just tell your, your listeners, gender-affirming care, quote-unquote, basically the premise of it, is that uh, that that every person uh, has the right to uh, to declare their identity and uh, for for the rest of us to automatically rubber stamp it, including doctors and therapists, no matter 
the age of the individual or whatever mental health issues they may be grappling with, and that all per- people as a civil right, including kids, uh, have should have access to these medical interventions that are very uh, serious and can cause lifelong, uh, how should I call it, uh, body ma- modifications as well as infertility. So these are serious medical interventions, and gender-affirming care says that you basically put the patient, even a child, in the driver's seat. So yep. this is a book. This is a book that was published by the APA recently, and uh, instead of addressing the fact that this is all extremely controversial, and that many countries have pivoted away from this uh, quote-unquote kind of treatment path, and they have said instead that minors need psychotherapy and not hormones that will change their bodies and lower their voices and grow breasts and boys. They've said that, no, they've looked at the data, they've analyzed it. These are not political decisions. These are medical groups in these countries like Sweden, Finland, Norway, Britain, and others. And uh, they have said, no, we're not going to give these hormones and other therapies to minors. Uh, but as you said a moment ago, here in this country and in Canada, it's full steam ahead. So uh, Lauren Schwartz and I wrote a letter to the American Psychiatric Association. We're objecting to this book that says things like the man-woman binary is mythical. More sex categories would flourish if not for European colonial influences. Um, These are quotes here from the book. Evidence-based medicine is oppressive. Psychiatry has perpetuated the oppression of transgender youth. Uh, Even psychosis is not a contraindication to gender-affirming services. So what does that mean? Bob, psychosis means people who are not living in reality, people who are having hallucinations, who have delusions. And this book is claiming that even that condition of psychosis is not a contraindication to these uh, interventions, including surgeries. I mean, you know, this is this is beyond outrageous. This yeah. is a political manifesto. I was going to say so, you mentioned that you you talk about that and 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 which was going to I always think of Dr. Gross. We're talking to Dr. Miriam Grossman. She is a practicing child and adolescent psychiatrist and a senior fellow at Do No Harm. She is also the author of her own book, which is Lost is Lost in Transnation: A Child Psychiatrist's Guide Out of the Madness. Um, and she co-wrote this article. And, and obviously the letter to the APA that she's talking about. Whenever I see these kinds of things, I always have to follow the old axiom of follow the money. Who funds the American Psychiatric Association? Who would be directing them? Maybe perhaps through donations and, uh, and, and maybe worse, um, to come up with a manifesto like this, a political manifesto rather than a one based in psychiatric care. You know, uh, you know, the money part of all of this, I do not have the expertise in. I am a clinician, and I look at what's happening to kids, to families, to parents, 
and to my profession. There's no doubt that money is a big element here. Every child that is put on puberty blockers, and by the way, puberty is not a disorder. Puberty is something that we want every child to go through, natural, organic puberty, so that they can grow into adults. But every child, getting back to the money, that is put on these blockers, and thousands and thousands of kids in this country are on puberty blockers, nearly every single one of them will then continue and go on estrogen and progesterone, I mean estrogen, I'm sorry, and testosterone. Now, these kids that are going to be dependent on these pharmaceuticals for the rest of their lives, for as long as they want to live as the opposite sex, they represent a million dollars in revenue to the drug companies. So, and that is not even getting into the surgeries that they're going to get. So, yes, of course, the financial incentive is great for the surgeons, for the medical people, and there is a ton of money that's being pumped into uh, the medical schools, uh, the residency programs, and the hospitals. That is for sure. In terms of the APA itself, I don't know. I, I don't know who's donating money to them. I haven't looked into that. I'm more concerned with, you know, how these young kids' bodies are being, uh, are, you know, are being affected permanently by these medications, how they do not have the ability to make any sort of informed consent about issues like their fertility, I mean, are you kidding me? Talk to a 12 or 14-year-old about having babies later in life? That's just ridiculous. Well, I mean, it is. And, people... and the reason the reason I asked you about the funding is because I'm trying to figure out what could have made the APA pivot the way that they have here. Because, I mean, it, to my understanding, the only other time, I think, um, at, at least in recent history, or, and again, or maybe just to my, to my knowledge, um, that a psychiatric association would support a bodily mutilation to deal with the psychiatric problem was when they used to perform lobotomies. And they got away from that. That, of course, um, uh, was was a barbaric practice. Uh, and 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 this is this seems to be returned to that. We have people presenting with psychological problems or psychiatric problems. I don't know how you view the the, the actual gender dysphoria if it's psychiatric or psychological or maybe a accommodation thereof. But the point is, it is something that needs to be treated with psychiatric or psychological care, not with bodily mutilation, either through the drugs that you're talking about or the actual actual physical surgeries and the removing of healthy organs and and so on and so forth. So I'm wondering, you know, what what was the pivot point that made psychological and psychiatric associations suddenly say, nah, we won't treat it with what we do. We 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 support the idea of going ahead and physically mutilating and 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 changing, you know, their bodies. All right, so I do address all this in my book. Um you know, in the few minutes that we have here, I would just explain to people, and it's so important that especially parents understand that the mental health, uh, you know, the mental health profession with psychiatry at the top of it has been captured, has been hijacked uh, by, by, you know, by a small groups of very vocal and aggressive activists. 
This did not happen recently. It happened a long time ago. And uh, what happens in these uh, medical associations is that activists with an agenda, a radical agenda, uh, uh, take over committees that small committees that are charged with coming up with policy and coming up with guidelines. And you could have as little as, you know, eight or ten people who are on a committee that come up with guidelines. The, and, and, and then those guidelines are, get the stamp of approval of the board of directors. What's important for parents to understand is that when you look at the guidelines for the care of transgender identifying kids or what they call now gender diverse kids, which really is just talking about personality yeah. because there are, there are masculine girls, there are feminine boys, you know, it, it's not their sex. Sex is binary. But in any case, these associations have been captured by activists with an agenda. Um, and when parents are told by gender therapists and gender doctors that there's a consensus, okay, when you turn on the television and you see Admiral Dr. Levine of the HHS saying that, oh, there's, you know, all medical authorities agree on this. This is life-saving. Well, no. No, that's not at all the case. There is no consensus. There's a huge debate, but the medical organizations are squashing the debate. They do not permit any debate. They silence the doctors that, that want to stand up and say, hey, this is serious. We are sterilizing kids. We need to debate this. They do not permit the debate. Let me ask you this, Dr. Grossman, in uh, closing, because we're just about out of time, but um, are you and Dr. Schwartz alone in this? And by alone, I don't mean specifically just the two of you. What percentage would you say of psychiatrists, particularly adolescent psychiatrists like you are and Dr. Schwartz is, what percentage do you think agree with you and what percentage is going along with the APA? Okay. Well, not only are Dr. Schwartz and I not alone, but our letter, which is online, and I urge people, anyone can sign it. This is the letter to the APA objecting to their gender manifesto, what they call a textbook. Mm-hmm. Anyone can sign it. We have 7,000 signatures on that letter to the APA, and many of those uh, are from MDs, uh, PhD psychologists. We are not at all alone. We have international experts that have signed this, uh, this letter. Again, it's, it's on my website, miriamgrossmanmd.com. We really should be getting tens of thousands of signatures because this affects everybody, affects your kids, affects your grandchildren. And, Bob, we are not at all alone. People are becoming more and more courageous, and they're able to uh, speak up. Uh, and deal with whatever consequences there are. Some people have signed the letter anonymously, but most have not. And we are not at all alone. I can't give you a percentage because, you know, I mean, I've been wanting to do this for years, but how do I, you know, how do you do a referendum of all child and adolescent psychiatrists? How do I gain access to, you know, all the emails of, 
of people that I would need to reach and then get, you know, it would have to be an anonymous survey. So I can only guess. I can only guess. Well, yeah, and I'm, I'm looking I'm, more. Yeah, I'm looking more for that. More just a sense that you have, not an actual percentage. I know I asked for one, but I mean, do you have people that support you? Do they contact you? Are there other psychiatrists who say I want to be on board, or I can't be on board professionally because I fear the repercussions, but I do support what you are doing? You know what oh, I mean? Absolutely. It's that kind absolutely. of a movement. Absolutely, I get. Yeah. No, it's like, climate, it's like climatologists, climatologists who, who have evidence and true numbers that, that buck the trend and the, the narrative of global warming is going to kill us all and CO2 is bad for us rather than being plant food that actually helps uh, sustain us all. But, but they, you know, they, they know that they, professionally they're going to get crucified if they come out and actually support the small handful that are willing to publicly challenge the orthodoxy. Well, one incredible organization challenging the orthodoxy is do no harm yes where i am proud to say i'm a senior fellow and they are standing up these are doctors and other professionals uh that are standing up and saying enough enough of politics in medicine this is harming people so you know your audience should also check them out do no harm.org they can join they can see what's going on there they have a lot of uh, wonderful events and people are speaking up and writing op-eds and there's a lot going on. Trust well, me. Dr. Grossman, what I want people to know is that they can help. I'm uh, I'm looking at your page right now, MiriamGrossmanMD.com. It's spelled exactly like you would think it is, everybody. MiriamGrossmanMD.com, and I do see one of the top links there is sign letter to the APA. I'm going to click it and sign it during this commercial break. I hope that all of my uh, listeners will do the same thing and also visit DoNoHarm.org. Dr. Grossman, we'll have you back on again when we can spend more time. This is uh, obviously a very, very uh, intensive conversation that we need to have, and also to talk about professionally what this does to you and others who stand up and and challenge the orthodoxy that uh, butchering children is in their best interest. So I certainly look forward to uh, to a future conversation, and I thank you so much today. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. All right. uh, We'll take a time out here. We've got uh, Jack. AM 1420. The answer. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, 1037, we roll onward. It's been a busy morning already, and we're only halfway home. Wow. I mean, seriously, the conversations that we have had with Bob Latta uh, earlier on this morning uh, just wrapped a great conversation with Miriam Grossman and a very important one. By the way, I did what I said I would do. I'm true to my word. I just went to, uh, during the break, her webpage, which is uh, uh, Miriam Grossman. Well, no, I've got to say it again because I want to send you to it as well. Uh, Where did it go? I switched over to her Twitter so that I could uh, retweet and tag her in it, uh, a link to the letter. It's MiriamGrossmanMD.com. MiriamGrossmanMD.com. And about a third of the way down the page, the home page on the first screen, you'll see sign letter to American Psychiatric Association. I signed it. And like I said, then I tweeted it and tagged her in it. So if you're following me on Twitter, you can find it there as well. Just search for Bob France or France Rance, or I will put it on Facebook as well, as well as the uh, conversation, because it's an important one. It is astounding to me. I understand politicians, and I understand activists who have ulterior motives for wanting to butcher and um, uh, chemically castrate children. I understand their motivations. They are disgusting, reprehensible, and there will one day be a special place in hell for them. I have a huge problem, however, with 
the people are supposed to provide the solutions. The psychiatric community, the psychological community, both APAs, American Psychiatric Care, or I'm sorry, American Psychiatric Association and American Psychological Association, they both have spun 180 degrees from providing psychiatric and psychological treatment and therapy and care for confused young people who might question whether or not they're supposed to be boys or girls, which is something that used to afflict less than one half of 1% of people until the uh, social contagion kicked in. But these psychiatric and psychological professional organizations used to say that's how we treat psychological issues is with therapy and treatment, have now essentially just you thrown in the towel and said, nope, go ahead and cut them up. Go ahead and castrate them, get them on the drugs, make them infertile. And yes, go ahead and remove healthy organs from their bodies and take flesh from other parts of their bodies and create fake organs to make them think that there's something different. They're literally advising, quote-unquote, gender-affirming care, which is in the form of bodily mutilation as a substitute for psychological therapy. And, 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 and psychiatric therapeutic care. I mean, it is unbelievable. So thank you to Dr. Grossman. We're going to have much more to say with her in, uh, in coming weeks. We may even have her on the television show so we can do a full hour or two hour long deep dive on Strictly Speaking with Dr. Grossman because this is extremely important. All right. Sorry, just had to recap all of that while I bring in our good friend, doc, uh, Dr. I just, I just promoted you to Dr. Went from Doctor Grossman, Doctor Grossman to Doctor Windsor. No, he's not a doctor, but he, uh, but he is uh, extraordinarily successful in his own right. He is, of course, Jack Windsor, the founder and editor in chief of the uh, very important news publication, the Ohio Press Network, and he brings fans with him. He can't help it. He's uh, he just draws a crowd uh, by the thousands. Uh, Jack Windsor, good to welcome. Good to have you back, my friend. Welcome. Bob, it's great to be here. Thanks for carving out time to be with me today. Or why let is, me be with you today. Why is everybody sick? I had Bob you know, Latta on this morning. Bob Latta sounded awful. He said he got sick yeah. on a flight, and he thinks it was because the people next to him blew the uh, the, you know, the air vents down directly at him, uh, which I've, I've never had a problem with, but whatever. But he sounded bad. You sound bad. Seth says that he is sick and his wife is sick. I mean, uh, I, what's going on? I, it's the craziest thing. I was actually sick three weeks ago. And uh, recovered. That was great. And then uh, earlier this week, I came down with something. Whitney has something. And uh, Eva Grace has it, too. Um, And then, uh, you know, our other daughter, uh, Addison, had it. But she was good for after about 24 hours. But, yeah, this has been lingering for like three days for me. When are you guys, all of you, you and Whitney and Eva Grace and Seth, I'm talking to you, and your wife and La, when are you guys going to start following the the regimen of vitamins that I told you that Dr. Peter McCullough told me about, that Dr. Sherry Tenpenny told me about, that Dr. Robert Malone told me about? They all tell me the way to strengthen and boost your immune system to fight off those things. Um, and they have worked magic, Jack, for me uh, since I had COVID in October of 2020. Uh, which was when everything broke out, of course. I went three and a half years without ever being sick again. And I'm talking about even with a little head cold like you have right now. And it's all because of that vitamin regimen I've been telling everybody to do. What's going on with you? I mean, have you heard of it? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I haven't. You know, I used to I know I've told really you off the air. I know I've told you off the air. Zinc. 
Vitamin C. It's not just vitamin C. There's a certain type. It's vitamin C asorbate. Uh, It's probably better in the powder form, but the pill form is okay. D3, not just vitamin D, but vitamin D3 D3. is a big part of this. In a high dosage, yeah, in in like a uh, 5,000 dosage, uh, you can check it out for yourself. Uh, and then, uh, uh, then you want zinc, uh, which is also a, I, I can't remember the dosage on the bottle. Uh, and then quercetin is one of the ones that most uh, people don't know about. Yep. Quercetin, yep. essentially the way Dr. Tenpenny tells me, it pounds all of those other, you know, probiotics and, and, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, immunity boosters into your cells. That's, that's its job. And I have been taking those things, like I said, and I had my first head cold, I don't know, like a month ago or whatever, for the first time in three-plus years. So I'm just telling you, and I don't say that as a flex. I say that as a genuine desire to help people. I tell everybody this is this is real. Um, my immune system has gone through the roof since then, in addition to the... Uh, antibodies, of course, from COVID, from, you know, eventually fighting off COVID, um, you know, you add these things to it, Jack, and it's going to make you so much more resistant to any of these kinds of, you know, seasonal colds and flus and whatnots. I'm sold, and I'm going to go, I'm going to go to the grocery store as soon as we're done, and I'll pick up what we need. Now, I remember taking courses, and, and, I couldn't get it in pill form. I think it was like um, capsules. What is it? The soda water. There's a certain soda water that you mix. Um, I remember getting it in that. I, but. I don't know for a fact like what other forms you can get it in, but, Jack, it does come in capsule form. If uh, at, at the end of the show or text me later today or something, I'll send you a picture yep. of the bottle with the manufacturer and everything else. And I, right I, I've, I order them all. I order them all. I have them delivered like once a month, and uh, they last a very, very long time. And, Seth, I sent you the pictures, too. I actually opened up my medicine cabinet, and I did a little video, though, that I scanned from one bottle to the next to the next to the next. And I said I never miss a day because Seth was down and uh, down for the count there for a while, too. Seth, did you, uh, did you order them, or did you just look at my little video and say, nah? I mean, I looked at the video, and I thought it was fantastic. But, uh, you know, I, I am a radio producer, some kind of poor. So I, I blame, blame it on pornos. There, no, that's crap. That's crap. Uh, first of all, you're also a television producer because you're working with me there, too. So that ought to give you enough money to buy your health. All right? It is an investment in your health. So I have I'm, no excuse. And by the way, I am. this is not an endorsement. I don't get paid by anybody for any of these things. This is just personal advice for me to everybody. That combination came right from Dr. Tenpenny seconded by the other doctors that I mentioned, some of the most important uh, uh, doctors, I believe, uh, in in the field of uh, of immune health, epidemiology, and so forth. These are all COVID researches as well, but they all backed it. And I'll tell you what, I'm living proof of it because I don't eat healthy. I'm not a, I'm not a vegetable guy. I'm not eating salads all the time at all. I don't eat healthy, but I am healthy, and I think it's lo- in large part over what I've do- been doing to boost my immune system for the last three years. So I love it. I'm oh, not, look at this. I'm, I'm on board. I just got a text from Len Hauser. Len Hauser, of course, is our good friend and colleague over on The Fish. And uh, Len is listening, and he said, I'm on the very same regimen, Bob. You are spot on. Thank you, Len, for the testimonial. There you go. There's another one. It works. It's really, really important if you want to be help, uh, healthy. Uh, all right, Jack Windsor. Now, after all of that, I'm going to make you feel bad about being sick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Biden is in East Palestine today. It has been, you have covered this for the Ohio Press Network, you and your team, you and I have talked about it as well. It has been over a year now since that toxic spill because of the train derailment. He never bothered. J.D. Vance has pretty much lived out in East Palestine. Sherrod Brown has given it a lot of attention as well, much as I am loath to give credit, but I give it where it is due. 
Uh, but Joe Biden has ignored this for over a year. Is this nothing more than a photo op? Oh, 100%. Yeah, this is about Joe Biden trying to amplify his campaign message. He's going to try to create a juxtaposition any way that he can do that um, with his opponent, Donald Trump. Uh, but my understanding is he's he's not taking interviews. He's not. Um, there's a very small uh, group of reporters that actually have access to him. And I believe it's just like White House poll reporters. So um, it is absolutely a photo op, Bob. Ohioans should should not only be duped, they should look at it and go, okay, I get it. He's here a year later. That's how important East Palestine is to him. That's how important it is to to Pete Buttigieg. Um, Yeah, I mean, this is nothing more than Joe Biden trying to get uh, some people in Ohio who are still confused about who he is and what his administration is doing, uh, trying to get their votes. Yeah, well, you know, it's uh, you use the word Biden and confused in the same sentence. I guess that's a pretty good transition to the uh, <laughs> uh, uh, to, to to the nightmare that his campaign has become and that his reputation has become. I'm looking at articles, Jack, where they are begging, talking about the Biden administration. They are begging the media to change the narrative and to revoke and to pull back uh, their stories about what Robert Hur wrote in that special counsel investigation of his classified documents. Uh, his willful, by the way, misconduct and keeping classified documents from years and years and years of time in the Senate and as vice president. And they're literally begging the media to change the narrative because it is destroying any chance that he might have had uh, at it possibly even holding on to the nomination and being, you know, the Democrats candidate, but much less from winning because people are watching him deteriorate and decline by the day. And the narrative uh, has got to change. So they're begging the media to do that, which begs my question for you. Do you think he survives this and makes it to the convention and actually will be on that ballot in November? I go back and forth on this. What about you? Uh, my visceral response is no, that at, at the convention he will be replaced. But insiders who talk to me say that you, you don't understand the, the death grip that he and Jill have on this thing. And that kind of makes sense to me. But, um, you know, I, I think in that circle, in the Democrat circle, I think there is the belief that Joe Biden is really the only person who can beat Donald Trump. Um, but how far and does he fall? How much damage does he do? But look, you and I, Bob, are old enough to remember 2020 when he campaigned from his basement. And when he did have rallies, there were 12 people. So um, I expect, and I, I'm sorry to be a doomsday person here, I expect a black swan event. I expect chaos. Uh, I expect things that we never conjured up in our minds uh, over the next eight to ten months uh, that I think will take a lot of the focus off of Joe Biden and put a lot of the focus on places like NATO, uh, people like Vladimir Putin, and then the press will do everything that it can to show how the Biden administration, not Joe himself, how the Biden administration is amenable to what they perceive to be the solution to the chaos versus Donald Trump, who you and I both know will have a position. It will be a staunch position. It will be a loud position, and he won't back down from it. Um, That is what we'll see in the next eight to ten months. Do you know who the black swan candidate will be, or do you have an idea or two or three? Oh. No, no. When I say black swan event, I mean there's going to be some world chaos, something that we look back on and oh, go, okay. this was 
this was well that that, uh, that terminology works for this too as a matter of fact i saw an article it was just yesterday um and i gosh i wish i could pull it up right now where they literally mansion. used the same terminology uh, and, uh no one mansion it was uh, in fact they didn't identify that's the reason i asked you if you had one but they said that there's a a a, a, a report from some very very close insiders that say there is a quote-unquote black swan candidate who is going to emerge um this summer at some point they did not list that individual they used a lot of terminology and a lot of i guess drop some easter eggs if you want to try to figure it out but i didn't read it closely enough to figure out who it was so i wondered if you had someone in mind no i mean you've got the mansion and uh what's his name the the senator um but then portman is also in that conversation but that group that is the you know uh, that's the Jeb Bush Rhino Republican group that they hate Trump so much that they're willing to put forward a Republican candidate as part of a ticket in order that he loses. I mean, that tells you how sane these people are. I don't know. I mean, the the name that gets thrown out the most, and I think that terrifies people the most uh, on on the right, is Michelle Obama. But I don't know. I think Michelle Obama likes hanging out in her bathing suit and. And, you know, all the money that she has. Um, but we'll see. I, I don't know. I do expect that there will be one or two other people that jump in for sure. Okay. Yeah, and I think that I, I do too. I just, uh, you know, I go back and forth on this. I was on with Dr. Gorka like, I don't know, a month or so ago, and he asked me that question. And I said, it's got to be Biden because there's no way they can bypass Kamala for somebody else. And they're terrified of Kamala. So they have to ride Biden to the finish line one way or the other. And then another day I say, well, particularly because of what just happened with uh, his little meltdown last Thursday on in that primetime yeah. press conference, um, there's no way they can do this. And, uh, you know, he's, he's literally, you know, showing his own decline as he still steps up to defend his mental acuity he stands there and exposes his you know declining mental acuity um yep. it can't happen and so i'm wondering who it is so i've gone back and forth many times you know switching my position on this over the last few months so i don't know what the hell to expect um one more question for you about go let's come back to ohio on this uh last week um I had some really harsh words for the Ohio uh, House of Representatives Speaker, uh, uh, Jason Stevens, because of, uh, and I had Jerry Serino on, they refused to, he refused, let me rephrase, he refused to bring uh, Senate Bill 83, Jerry Serino's very important DEI in colleges and universities bill up for a vote. It passed the Senate easily, it passed out of the House committee it's ready for a vote, and Jason Stevens ignored 30 uh, 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 representatives who signed a petition to, or not a petition, but signed whatever the the, uh, the the legal paperwork is to bring this up for a vote. He ignored it. The other 22 yep. trans Dems ignored it as well, did not do anything to support it. Uh, the Democrats, of course, didn't support it, but... I'm told by Jerry Serino uh, that uh, they have at least 55 members of that Ohio House yep. that will vote for this, and that's why Stevens yep. won't bring it to a vote. Jack, you are dialed into the uh, Capitol as well as anybody is. What is your assessment of that? Well, uh, certainly Jason Stevens didn't bring it forward. I watched the session. It was embarrassing. Uh, I called Jason Stevens out on a video that's gone viral. Uh, his ignoring people who and I say people, lawmakers who tried to stand up in the middle of that session and be recognized, he ignored the the vote and voice of about three and a half million Ohioans. Um, but I'm going to take this all the way back. December 6th, uh, Senate Bill 83 came out of the House committee, and two Republicans, Gail Pavliga and Justin Pizzulli, vote, both voted against it. Now, it did pass out of 
committee, which is positive. But I've reached out to Pavliga and Pizzulli and said, why? Give me a reason why you didn't vote for this in committee. Crickets. I've reached out to Jason Stevens no less than five times. Crickets. Um, look, this is what a speakership co-opted by Democrats looks like. And uh, I, this is not something that – that was the last session, by the way, that the House is going to have before the primary, is my understanding. We're only four, four weeks away from that, maybe five. Um, so remember, Jason Stevens, members of the Blue 22, those are the traitors who lied to other Republicans in caucus, backed Jason Stevens. I mean, minority of Republicans backed the speaker. Uh, these folks are in with teacher unions and unions and other special interests. So, of course, they don't want this bill to go over the finish line because then their their backers, their sponsors are going to scold them. Um, it's disgusting, Bob. And my hope is that Matt Huffman, who is termed out of the Senate, will win his race at the Ohio House, and he will displace Jason Stevens as Speaker uh, in the 136th General Assembly. Well, it is um, it is a, an absolute travesty that uh, the the Republicans, the Blue Twenty Two, the Trans Dems, whatever you want to call them, did do exactly what you said. But you're right; they are they have they have essentially sided with Democrats, which means that based on the legislation, we have a Democrat majority in a very very red state. We have a Democrat majority in the House because of the Republicans who identify themselves that way. Uh, Jack, music's playing. But but hold it off for just a second here, Seth, because the last thing I want to bring to the table here is Jack Windsor is usually introduced as the uh, founder and editor-in-chief of the Ohio Press Network. But, Jack, um, we have a new title for you, or at least we're going to very, very soon. We get to introduce you in another way. You want to tell everybody what that is? Yeah, and I, I don't even know if you know the latest on this, Bob, um, but uh, I was filling in for Bruce Hooley, uh, 98.9 FM, The Answer, in Columbus while he was out receiving treatment uh, for his cancer. He's returned. Salem wanted me to stay. Uh, they have offered me the opportunity to do a drive time show daily, Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. The Windsor Report will air for one hour uh, during your drive. And then on Saturdays, uh, you'll get the best of the Windsor Report, but it's going to be kicked off with the Windsor Review, about a half an hour segment uh, that I do uh, reviewing the week and what's coming in the following week. So the Windsor Review and the Windsor Report on 98.9 FM, The Answer, Columbus. Uh, is where you can hear us. So we will now be introducing Jack Windsor as my Salem Radio colleague, not just my guest, but a Salem Radio colleague with Salem in Columbus. And that is absolutely <laughs> worth a hearty and well-deserved can you dig it, Jack Windsor. Congratulations. It's great. Uh, yeah, you, you did a phenomenal job sitting in for Bruce. Obviously, you had me on as a guest several times, and I uh, certainly appreciated the opportunity. But it's well-deserved, and it's good to have you aboard in the Salem family. Amen, brother. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you, Jack. By the way, you sounded better the more we talked. So rather than yeah. laying there feeling sorry for yourself, get up and go to work. You'll be healthier at the end of the day. K. Yeah, you ought to do something. The more you talk, the more you put into this, the stronger your voice got here. So laying around makes you feel sick. Working makes you feel better. So get back to work, young man. Did you hear that, Whitney? I can talk all day now. Okay. (laughs) Thank you, Jack. See you, Bob. All right, uh, 1058, we got news coming up. And on the other side of the news, we're going to go and talk a little bit more about East Palestine. To get a complimentary copy of Dave's book and a complimentary consultation, call 877-GAINS-4-U or mortagefinancial.com. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. 
you and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, hour number three is underway now. It's nine minutes past 11 o'clock on this free-for-all Friday, the 16th morning of the month of division in the year of our Lord, 2024. Joe Biden finally coming to Ohio, finally coming to East Palestine to talk to the residents and see what needs they might have that maybe he, as the president of the United States, I don't know, might actually be concerned about. Problem is, it has been over a year since that toxic spill caused by the train derailment. Where the hell is Joe Biden? Been? I also own a trucking company, and I've had several people call me and ask me if I could block the entrance of the town so that he can't come because it's been over a year, and now he wants to come when it's election time. Allison says he's lost tens of thousands of dollars since February 3rd after his tenants up and left for good during the vinyl chloride-controlled burn. Allison had to decontaminate and renovate his abandoned units. That's why the people of East Palestine feel the way they do about Biden's visit now. Now to one year later, Wang awaits President Biden's first visit to East Palestine as his business remains closed and the EPA continues to use his property to reconstruct the derailment site. One year interruption for us is fatal is elimination of our business, period. Wang says he wishes President Biden visited sooner, and he's unsure why more federal aid wasn't made available for struggling businesses. Why was federal aid not made available? That's a great question. Let's get one more before we talk to our guest from the RNC. You know, I want to say that if he's not coming here to take action, then why come? You know, it's been a year of tucking our kids into beds where... We don't know if our homes are safe because they haven't been tested. They won't test our soil. The EPA is telling us, you know, nothing's wrong. We're all sick. Our bodies are telling us different. As a parent, as a wife, a daughter, you know, this this is unacceptable in the United States of America. And I, it's just hard to believe that anybody could ignore what's going on in our community. That's how the people of East Palestine feel, and why not? Here is a list of the places Biden has visited instead of East Palestine since the train derailment. Delaware, 30 times. Pennsylvania, 13 times. Camp David, 10 times. Maryland, 9 times. I could go on. The list would take the entire duration of the interview. He has been to probably 30 states. None of them have been East Palestine, Ohio. And uh, he's been, of course, to a lot of different countries in that time as well. Let's uh, welcome uh, Tommy Piggott, uh, RNC Director of Strategic Communications, to give us the uh, point of view of the RNC on Biden's photo op in an election year finally coming to East Palestine, Ohio. Tommy, thank you for the time. How are you? 
Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. So, um, you know, I think everybody kind of sees this for what it is. He didn't come in 2023 because he didn't really care. He's coming in 2024 because he's in an election year in which he is polling horribly. He is uh, suffering all kinds of negative press. Uh, the press actually came after him for his cognitive decline uh, during his hastily called press conference last week. Is this just an attempt to try to reach out and say, look at me, I'm Joe Biden, I really do care? I think it is, but it's a very uh, it's a very weak attempt because, as you mentioned, it's been over a year. Joe Biden should have been there months ago. There, there's one comment that Joe Biden made back in September that really has stuck with me when he was asked why he hadn't been to East Palestine yet. He said because he hadn't had the time, he hadn't had the break. When he had just spent most of August on vacation, he had literally just spent weeks on vacation, including in Lake Tahoe, and yet the first time he's asked about it, he says, I haven't had time to break. It's clear he prioritizes his vacations more than the people of East Palestine. And it's also borne out by the fact, according to Senator Vance, uh, the Biden administration doesn't show the urgency behind the scenes either. They don't show that they're actually caring about people there or the long-term health consequences or monitoring them. So it's really showing the Biden administration and Joe Biden himself really does not care. And I think he doesn't care unless you live in a blue district that's going to vote for him. You know, you're right. Um, I think that's exactly the point here. If this was a blue district, um, he would have been there too sweet. He would have been there, or even if it was a purple district, if there was a chance for him to try to win some people over. But this was a, a region uh, of the of the state that went very, very heavily for Trump. And so it almost just looks like and sounds like exactly that. I don't care about you. You don't like me, and I don't like you. Deal with this on your own. Yeah, and it's not even speculation here. It's the fact that he even took weeks to recognize it. He, he took weeks to comment publicly about the toxic train derailment after it happened. Now it's been over a year. He, he's been completely glib about it, refusing to actually own up to his mistakes, own up to the fact that he hasn't been. I think it's this mounting political pressure. It's the fact that it's an election year that he's finally going. But it's too little too late from Joe Biden. It's too little for too late, too little too late for people that have been suffering the consequences of this toxic train derailment. The presidency has power. The president has the ability to draw attention to a crisis, has the ability to leverage resources. By going to a crisis area, he thanks the entire nation, this is a priority. We're going to solve this problem. And by not going, he sent the opposite message loud and clear, that it's not a priority for him. He doesn't care about the people of East Palestine. And showing up a year later, it's, it's like I just said, too little, too late. He needs to back it up with serious action for it to have any meaningful effect at all. We're talking to uh, Tommy Piggott, RNC, st- uh, Director of Strategic Communications, who are uh, reacting to Biden's very, very late visit to uh, East Palestine today. I got this message from uh, a local activist leader, um, Tom Zawostowski, Tommy, uh, who received this message from an East Palestine resident who's a friend. Quote, Everyone just received 1099s from Norfolk Southern yesterday. So that's going to just make things even worse today because everyone is upset that they got taxed on it. They got taxed on any relief that they did get. Um, the resident in East Palestine followed that up with, quote, I guess Sherrod Brown is trying to do something about it, but probably nothing will happen. I think we don't need to claim it on state and local tax, <clears throat> but federal we will. And that's going to wipe out, wipe out most people's refund checks. Do you know anything about that? Are, are, are residents who receive federal aid from a disaster taxed on the aid they receive? I'm not sure exactly the specifics. If they are, that seems completely wrong. And to bring up the yeah. point of Sherrod Brown, yeah, I mean, <laughs> to bring up the point of Sherrod Brown, I mean, he's in a very uh, he's in a position of power in the Senate. The majority in the Senate for the Democrats is very slim, and I think it actually shows that he's really not working on it because if he was. 
he would use that leverage to get things done. Where has he been? We're in a 51-49 Senate where every single vote comes down to one or two votes. He could be leveraging that position to be delivering results for the people of East Palestine. But where are those results? Where are they? The proof's in the pudding. We're seeing Joe Biden not care about it. We're not seeing results from Sherrod Brown. I mean, this is it's showing the Democratic Party, their priorities are elsewhere. Their priorities are sending money to communist China to build electric vehicles. That's all Joe Biden talks about 24-7. It's not actually about delivering results for hardworking Americans that really just want a chance, want a shot, and want to make sure that when something happens, their president will be, be there for them, and Joe Biden has not been there for them. Yeah, I, uh, I I concur. Uh, and J.D. Vance, by the way, who's, of course, a freshman senator, has done phenomenal work. He has almost lived in East Palestine. It seems like every time I look and see where's J.D. now, you know, looking at his Twitter feed and some of the other pages where they post his activities, he is there or he's talking uh, uh, on the Senate floor about the, about this situation and trying to deliver some sort of relief for them. Um have you guys been in, in communication with J.D.? And, and Because it does seem like he has kind of taken the lead on this really more than anybody else. It, what a contrast between him and, and Senator Brown when you have a, a senator going out there on the, on the floor every single day or almost every single day, as often as possible, talking about this issue. J.D. Vance has done more for the people of East Palestine while he's been in the minority in the Senate than Sherrod Brown does when he's in the majority. And this should be the exact opposite. That just shows you where the priorities lie, where J.D. Vance is going out there talking about this. And that's part of the frustration. There was a recent interview that J.D. Vance did with uh, Salim Azito talking about how he's been pitching the administration on key measures that are needed to monitor for long-term health effects. And the administration has been completely unmoved, completely unmoved. And it's clear from behind the scenes, not just publicly as well, but behind the scenes, the administration does not care about addressing this, this issue, does not care about being there for the long term when it comes to recovering from this disaster because, unfortunately, uh, there may be long-term health effects. We all pray that there aren't, but uh, there may be. And we need to monitor for that. We need to be giving people resources they need to address those. That's been a priority for Senator Vance. We really have been uh, admiring his effort every single day to go out there and fight for the people of East Palestine. And it's such a contrast to Joe Biden and the Democratic Party. Yeah, 100%. It sure is. Tommy Pickett is our guest from the uh, RNC. Uh, the RNC is uh, posted from RNC Research uh, on Twitter a five-minute clip of Joe Biden uh, just embarrassing himself. And I don't say that um, in a mean way or even in a partisan way. It's just in a human way. I hate to see this when people who do get in his advanced age and is suffering from some sort of mental decline. And I'm not, I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to say it's dementia. I'm not going to say it's the beginning stages of Alzheimer's. But we know that he can't remember things even as he is pledging to show, as he did in his press conference last week, how great and sharp his memory is. He forgot so many things. It's... Um, it's really quite embarrassing. So you guys asked the question on uh, RNC research, why won't Biden take a cognitive exam? Do you think, Tommy, and do you, is it kind of the position of the RNC that this should be mandatory for an 80-year-old, or in his case, an 81-year-old, to be running for president again? I think it should be part of any sort of exam where there are serious questions regarding it. I mean, Joe Biden, the questions surrounding him aren't just Republicans anymore. It's 86% of the American people. And we see it constantly. It's embarrassing for Joe Biden. It's embarrassing for the country. The American people deserve to know whether or not their president has the mental fitness for office. Uh, and I think the fact the White House is being so untransparent, the, the White House is trying to protect him as much as possible, only heightens these concerns. He's done the fewest number of press conferences of any president in modern history, the fewest number of interviews of any president in modern history. He's done the fewest events of any president, and he spent the most time on vacation. Even from using the short stairs to get onto Air Force One almost every single time he uses that plane, the entire White House administration 
It's designed to protect him from public view as much as possible. And every single time he goes out into public view, he says things that only heighten concerns. So if he wants to put these concerns to bed, if he wants to say, I am mentally fit for office, he should take that cognitive exam and he should stop hiding. He should do interviews. He should do events. He should do press conferences. The reason why the American people have these concerns is because of Joe Biden. It's because of what Joe Biden's done. It's because of what he said. It's because of what we see with our own eyes. And it's becoming very clear, even the mainstream media can't deny it. So it's on him. It's not the American people shouldn't dismiss their concerns. It's on Joe Biden to prove to us, based off of what we're seeing, that he has that mental fitness. And if he can't prove that, he should not be president of the United States. Uh, completely concur. Last thing, since I've got you representing the RNC here, Tommy, um, is about leadership. Ronna McDaniel is is stepping aside, apparently, after South Carolina. President Trump has said in the last couple of days he knows who he wants to lead the RNC. Michael Watley, chairman of the North Carolina Republican Party, as the chair, and his daughter-in-law, Laura Trump, as, Trump as co-chair. Uh, what's the feeling inside the RNC about that leadership situation? Well, two things. First, our position is the same, that it was going to be a discussion for after the South Carolina primary. Uh, and second, our North Star is beating Joe Biden. We're going to be focused on beating Joe Biden today, beating Joe Biden tomorrow, next week, next month, all the way up to November. Our North Star is unity, bring Republicans together to beat Joe Biden. We're laying that groundwork. We're laying that infrastructure. That's an effort that's going to continue, that whenever we have that Republican nominee officially in place, they can take that road that we've built straight to the White House. So our focus on beating Joe Biden, we're going to stay focused on that, and we're confident we're going to win in November. Yeah, and I get that. Um, is there um, is there a is there a RNC um, talking point or viewpoint or collective opinion on letting the candidate pick the leadership of the actual RNC rather than the RNC deciding who their their favorite candidate is? Well, it's going to be a discussion again. Like I said, after the South Carolina primary, I mean, this is part of this process where voters are having their say right now in the primaries. Voters have spoken loudly and clearly in a few of the primaries that we've had. That's part of this discussion. But ultimately, we're going to be coming together. We're going to be beating Joe Biden. Uh, and we're going to make sure a Republican wins in November. Is it, um, is it fair to say that, uh, that Donald Trump is truly the chairman of the RNC? That Donald Trump is the leader? Because, uh, you know, first of all, he's the candidate. He's the one you, you just said, our, our North Star is beating Joe Biden. That means Donald Trump doing it. Is Donald Trump the true leader of the party and of the RNC itself? Look, ultimately, voters are having their say. Voters decide who they want to lead the party. Voters decide who they want the nominee to be, and that's the process that we're having. I mean, voters have spoken very clearly in the last few primaries. Part of the discussion that needs to happen going forward is viability of past fours for the candidates in the race. But ultimately, we're focused on beating Joe Biden. Republicans are coming out to the polls, making their voices heard, saying who they want to be the head of the party uh, in terms of that Republican nominee. Then, like I said, we're going to come together. But this is a discussion that's going to happen after the South Carolina primary. We're going to figure that out. Now, tomorrow, next day, next month, next year, uh, all the way up to November, I should say, rather, we're going to be focused on beating Joe Biden. Yeah, I knew what you meant. All hands on deck to beat Joe Biden. No question about that. Uh, Tommy Piggott, uh, thank you so much. Director of Strategic Communications with the RNC. Appreciate your work and uh, enjoy the photo op show today like the rest of us in East Palestine. Thank you, Tommy. Hey, thanks for having me on. You got it. All right, there you go. That's uh, You know, it's a it's an interesting development there with um President, by the way, Nikki Haley is livid about it. Nikki Haley is freaking out. She thinks the whole thing is uh, is a is a, a blank show. She, you know, the idea that Trump can pick the leader of the RNC when the RNC is supposed to be running, you know, eventually the primary system and the convention to pick the nominee, and she, of course, still wants to be the nominee. Um, I I get it. I understand why she's frustrated by it. Having said that, 
I think she needs to step the hell aside because she has zero chance of, of anything. Donald Trump is what I just asked Tommy Piggott to confirm, the leader of the RNC. He's the leading candidate. He's the most popular driving force. There's nothing that can stop him. Ron DeSantis couldn't stop him. Uh, Chris Christie, not that he was ever popular enough to, but he tried to do it just with, with uh, oppositional forces, can't stop him. Nikki Haley can't stop him. Nobody can stop him. Um, he is the leader. Uh, the question becomes, though, would it be productive or counterproductive for him to handpick the chairman of the RNC and the co-chair being his daughter-in-law? In other words, the leadership of the RNC's job isn't just to beat Joe Biden. It isn't just to win the presidential race. It is to raise funds for and direct and strategize with all of the legislative races as well. The RNC has got so many different things that they have to pay attention to. And it's worth the ask, is Laura Trump, co-chair of the Republican National Committee, going to be singular, singularly laser-focused onto the presidency and not paying attention to all of those other important positions and races? Because I'll tell you what, even if President Trump gets back in and 45 becomes 47, while we all cheer the heck out of that, if he's got to go against an oppositional, Democrat-controlled House and Senate the way he did in his last two years, uh, what are we going to get done? Legitimately, what are we going to get done anyway? So the RNC needs to be strengthened, and I think it needs leadership that is going to... And maybe that is Laura Trump. Maybe what I just said is not accurate. Maybe she wouldn't be laser-focused and just worried about getting her father-in-law elected. No, maybe she would be a phenomenal co-leader along with Michael Watley in, in uh, you know driving the, the, the campaigns of all of these other Republicans that we need to win in the Senate and we need to win in the House. Maybe. But I just want to make sure that whoever they choose to lead the RNC does know the full scope of the job and isn't just, um, you know, narrow scoped into making sure that Donald Trump gets back to the White House. Donald Trump getting to the back to the White House is imperative, but it is equal, not more, not less, but equally imperative that we win a majority in the Senate, no matter how small, and that we expand the majority, which is already too small, in the House. So that's what it's going to take. All right, 1126. Take a time out here. Four interviews in the books. Great conversations all. And now it's up to you to react. Whatever your closing thoughts are on uh, the week that WHKRadio.com. Giving you reason in the age of unreason. Always write radio with Bob France and the answer. Yeah, that sounds like us all over. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420. The answer, final segment of a free-for-all Friday, which means free-for-all phone calls. What do you want to talk about? What do you want to ask about? What comment do you want to make? We'll do it together. Thanks again to my guests. If you missed any of them, Congressman Bob Latta, excuse me, Representative of District 5, Dr. Miriam Grossman, Jack Windsor joined us, and then we just finished with Tommy Pickett of the RNC. All of those important conversations. If you missed any, listen to them after the show at whkradio.com on our podcast page. Let's go to uh, Maple Heights. Chuck, you're on AM 1420. The answer, go ahead, Chuck. Great week, great show, Bob. Thank you. Thank um, you. Two quick things, if you could get back. The first one, then, is a little history question, if you could help me out with. There was a guy, I believe his name was Ed Stinn. We're trying to get this figured out. Years ago, he ran away from his business. He was a West Sider, and they ended up finding him on TV at a game, and they spotted him and caught him and bring him back. And was that him who I'm thinking out, or was that somebody else? I have no idea. And 
Okay, I'm going to figure, well, you being a West Sider, you might be able to, because I know you're out that way. First of all, I'm going to vote for the primaries in March. And I'm wondering in myself, I want O'Malley in as our, to stay as our prosecutor, correct? Same here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, so um, I'm a Republican. I'm a conservative. But I'm thinking maybe shag a Democrat ballot and vote for O'Malley to keep this leftist out, or do I vote my Republican ballot and go for either Marino or Frank LaRose, who I'm about 40, 60 on. I'm more for Marino right now, but I'm still thinking of this. I, I know I, I'm trying just to throw that out there and see what you would think about that, because I'm telling you, we get this leftist prosecutor, because a bunch of idiots will vote for this guy just because certain things, and we ain't going to go in that direction. If people just vote for him just to vote for him, we don't need that more of a leftist in there. we got enough problems in this county now. We don't need that man as our prosecutor. So I'll well, hang up and you can help let me know. Okay? I, I'll do that, Chuck. Thank you. The best I can anyway, and I appreciate the call. And it's a really important question. When we had Mike O'Malley on uh, two weeks ago, I guess it was February 1st, I think. We figured it out yesterday. When we had Mike O'Malley on, and I'm going to have him on again probably either next week or the following week because we will be within the 30-day window of early voting starting then. So I'm going to have Mike O'Malley on again. We've also called Matthew on because I would love him to uh, answer my questions. The really, really radical, progressive leftist that you're talking about, a Soros-ish uh, would-be prosecutor challenging O'Malley. Uh, but he has not returned our calls, and I'm not surprised. But um, we talked about this then. Um, I would not pull, if I'm a Cuyahoga County resident, and I'm not, so um, I-, I would not pull a Democrat ballot just to vote for O'Malley because that that Senate race is too important. Um, If you feel like your vote is going to be an extraordinarily important one in getting the right guy to beat Sherrod Brown, then I say you stick with your Republican ballot in this open primary system that we have. I personally don't like the open primary system. I wish it was closed. But since it is, this is a question a lot of people have asked and we discussed on the air. For me, I would say vote for your pull a Republican ballot and vote for the person you think is best going to be the, uh, able to beat Sherrod Brown, which is top priority. And then to support O'Malley in the other race while you can't vote for him, help encourage people who are Democrats to do so. Even make a donation to his campaign. Help him, O'Malley, be able to get the word out there about the danger of this character on who wants to abolish police and, and empty the prisons and empty the jails in Cuyahoga County. This is what he wants to do. This is what he stands on. It's who he is. He essentially said that in a five-minute campaign video in which he talked about the best way to make Cuyahoga County safe is to empty the jails. It's brutal. Um, it's really, a, really a scary thing. Give money to O'Malley to expose that. Give money to his campaign, but cast your vote and pull your ballot for the Republican Party so that you can vote uh, in that very important Senate race. Now, on the other hand, if you are convinced that I'm good with either Marino or uh, LaRose, and I maybe I link those two guys together more than I do Matt Dolan, but that's just a personal opinion. Maybe even if you think it doesn't matter which one of them emerges, any one of them is going to beat Brown. If you feel like they can all beat Brown or that none of them have a chance to beat Brown and you don't care who comes out of that triumvirate of candidates, then go ahead and pull the Democrat Valley so you can vote for uh, a ballot. I should say you can so you can vote for uh, Michael Malley. I, I, I do see the argument. 
if you feel like I don't have a super strong feeling about Moreno or LaRose, one of them is going to win, and whoever it is, is we're going to support like crazy to beat Sherrod Brown, then, then go ahead and do it that way. But if you feel like, no, the only one of those three that I like is Bernie, or the only one of those three that I like is Frank, and you really, really, truly believe that person must win in order to beat Sherrod Brown in order for us to have not a, you know, a rhino-ish type of, uh, uh, person in that seat and that's kind of how i see one of them uh then uh then then you're going to want to make sure to keep your republican ballot and vote for that person so i i know i'm not giving you a very direct answer but if the best answer i could give would be to go ahead and vote for your favorite in the republican primary and make a donation to the o'malley campaign help get the word out there about o'malley and matthew on so that democrats know remember that's a democrat primary it's not like you're asking them to vote for a republican if they vote for o'malley you're just asking them to vote for uh, a sensible democrat who has been good at his job in trying to crack down on crime in Cuyahoga county rather than a progressive who does not believe in law or order that's the only that's the best way i can answer it Chuck, thank you for that question. Joanne in Twinsburg. Hi, Joanne. Go ahead. Morning, Bob. Morning. Um, my my question is, is, are all the congressional seats up again this year? Yes. Is somebody going to primary Mike Turner? I mean, this guy is for FISA renewal. I mean, no questions asked. I mean, he put out this irresponsible russian space thing the other day i mean and they say this is all so that they'll go ahead and renew FISA with no questions asked i mean yeah really i mean he calls himself a republican i i just don't get it i mean these these guys and i mean your guy he needs to be primary too he does, I mean, and, and I'm surprised by that. Yeah, because I had been a bit of a fan of Mike Turner's for about for a while, just based on other things that both he has done and you know voted for, and things that I've heard, and I have felt like he was pretty solid. But I saw the same thing you did. I don't know if there's a primary challenger or not there, but I concur. Anybody that is making these kinds of decisions, and listen, I'll be 100 percent honest with you. Everybody knows that I like Max Miller. Everybody knows I like Bob Latta, too. But I was very, very dismayed with what they did in the Santos vote. And if there are challengers to them, you know, people are going to have to really look and say, hey, what do I want to do here? Now, in some cases, there aren't primary challengers. In some cases, there are. Uh, and you have to mm-hmm. decide whether or not, A... You like them, you know, well enough to, uh, to, you know, vote over the incumbent and B, if they do beat the incumbent, can they win against the Democrat in that general? Because we need to, you know, this is one of those really difficult conundrums. Do we want the best conservative in each seat? Yes. But is each best conservative well known and well funded enough to beat the Democrats so we can actually win the seat in the general election? Right. I, I agree. It's so but hard I mean, to know whether or not if in, in the Turner case, since you brought it up, let's say there is a let's say there is a primary candidate so and it gets booted. I mean I mean it if is. this was his motive for putting this out, I'm sorry, I don't care how conservative he is. Yeah. I'm you know, I'm don't get me wrong, I mean I live in Sykesville. So <laughs> No, I get I it. I get it. That. It's a, it's a fair. No, you're you know, right, and, but I and mean, it's a fair I kind question. Of to Jim Jordan as my congressman. I mean, if I was going to call my congressman, I would call Jordan yeah. because she don't care what I think. I mean, yeah. 
you know, frankly, she could care less. But no, I, she doesn't right. care what you think. Absolutely not. I, yeah. I completely concur. So it's a, it's a very tough yeah. thing that we're in right And thanks for the call, Joanne. It's a very tough thing that we're in right now as we try to figure out which of our incumbents we want to keep, keep in, in, uh, in Washington. And if there are primary candidates, ask yourself two things. How much more conservative is the primary over the existing Republican rhino that's in Congress? And there are plenty of them. Number one. And number two is, can that conservative, if you are successful in primarying out the incumbent, can that person beat the Democrat? We have to figure that out before you vote in the primary. Because in some cases, we may say, I want the conservative, but this conservative has no shot whatsoever at beating the Democrat. So maybe it's better to just keep the seat red-ish or pink-ish with the rhino that's in the seat now, as opposed to the deep blood-red conservative we want. That's our conundrum. I wish I had an easier answer.